Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, oh, hey, Corey. Hey, oh, what's up, Todd? Not too much. Interesting right. week, though, weekend, at least yesterday, with all the political conventions. Tons of action, tons of action. And I, I had the time of my life, so let's talk a little bit about it. So <laughs> a few of us attended the Utah County Convention over the weekend. So I thought we could probably start with just maybe I'll give a little readout of what I found or saw. First of all, huge participation, at least in Utah County. So there was, what, almost 1,500 delegates there, and two-thirds of them, at least, were new delegates, never participated yeah. before. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing. And oh, that is a good thing. I think the convention system offers something that you just cannot get with a primary in that you know, you get face-to-face contact, get to talk to every candidate multiple times. I, I, I went to so many events. We also had a, a meet and greet, at, meet the candidates at our own house one night. And I mean, it's really fun. So for those of you who haven't really done it, I totally encourage you to do it because it's actually a lot of fun and, and you get face-to-face. It's just like what you see during the presidential primaries in Iowa or whatever on TV. I mean, it's face-to-face and it's really fun. It's really true. Um, I was surprised because in Davis County, it seemed like there was um, a bit of an anti-incumbent feel to it, um, but it seemed like the delegates were also kind of punishing the the more moderate candidates like Steve Handy, who got ousted, and uh, Ray Ward would have been ousted but for his signatures. But in Utah County, even popular conservative incumbents like Amelia Gardner and Bill Lee, both county commissioners, were forced into primaries by, you know, kind of newcomers. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm going to stick with um, there is an anti-incumbent um, bent towards these delegates uh, in with these delegates. Um, uh, and I think I, I think that's bearing out. And in fact, I, th- this is unusual for our show. But Salt Lake County not only had the Republican convention yesterday, but they had their Democratic convention and three of my colleagues, uh, well, two of my colleagues in the state Senate, um, Gene Davis and Derek Kitchen, both Democratic senators, were forced into primaries. And then uh, there's also going to be a primary for Janie Iwamoto's seat. She's also a Democrat. She did not file for reelection, but Deandra Brown and Representative Stephanie Pitcher are going to be in a primary for that Senate seat. And so um, I think there's just a little bit of an anti-incumbent bent with, with this crop of delegates. I'm not sure why. And, you know, I'm not sure that the legislature has done something wrong, but my sense, and you can, you're welcome to correct me if I'm wrong on the Republican side, at least, I think the delegates are mad about what they're seeing on Fox news. They're mad about what's going on in DC and they're kind of take it's kind of like coming home and kicking the dog. They're taking it out on these local politicians, <laughs> even though it's the national stuff that they're mad about. Do, yeah. you, do you agree with me on that? I, I definitely think there's something to that. I mean, I always think that the, the Fox News thing is completely overblown because my well, I'm just saying what they're seeing, on, seen what, they're seeing in DC. what they're seeing in D.C. But yeah, what they're seeing in D.C. So I think, uh, like you said, Amelia Gardner and Bill Lee, who are the current uh, incumbent county council member or uh, county uh, commissioners. Both went sent to a primary. Brandon Gordon, uh, a city councilor from Spanish Fork, so he actually beat uh, Bill Lee 53-46. Of course, you have to have 60 in order to not uh, Avoid a go primary. to a primary. But I don't think there's any reason to believe that Brandon is more conservative than Lee. And I'm sure they agree on 99% of the issues. I talked to Brandon a bunch of times and Bill Lee. I mean, Brandon probably has a softer edge to him. 
So maybe you could say that's a more moderate temperament, but, but I think to your point, it's, it's not really like the, the readout, it seemed like from Davis County was the conservatives are mad and the pitchfork and the Fox news and all that. I, I don't, I'm not sure it's that. I think, I think people are upset and they want to demonstrate <laughs> how upset they are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Amelia is going to to a, a primary against Renee tribe. I'm not, again, I'm not sure there's much air between them in terms of policy. I mean, Renee certainly like she, she knew how to serve up some red meat really raw. <laughs> yeah. That worked for her, but I didn't, it wasn't the same in every race. I think it's worth noting though. Uh, the one race where I think ideology definitely made a difference was the city attorney race. We talked about this last time, the County uh, attorney race, County, County attorney. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, David Levitt, the former governor's brother is our County attorney right now. And honestly, he just seems to be on a crusade to administer Utah County as if he were a big city Democratic DA. I mean, the Democratic Party DA. He's highly skeptical of the police. He doesn't believe prosecution should happen anywhere near the rate that you'd expect from a Utah County law and order person. He's just not in step at all with the delegates or Utah County. And Well, and he's, he's I think, in an open war with the delegates. He told yeah. them at his debate last month that he had signatures. He didn't need them. Um, only 10% of the delegates voted for him yesterday. So that's, yeah. Be an and so, you know, he said that he, during that debate, as, as you pointed out, he, he had those just really off the wall comments, but, and his speech yesterday was just really defiant. And I would characterize myself personally as really kind of quite arrogant, you know, telling the yeah. delegates where that he stood with the founders the implication is that, you know, they, we, I'm a delegate too. Uh, didn't so he he tried to speak longer than his allotted time uh, each each uh, candidate got three minutes and he he couldn't speak because as soon as the time hit I mean they were, he was just overwhelmed with uh, booze so he yeah. couldn't speak anymore you, so yeah you know another primary I didn't mention is uh, Senator Grover from uh, Utah County who's one of the th probably three most conservative uh, Republican senators in the in the Utah Senate, he was forced into a primary by Brandon Beckham, who's a, kind of a long time political gadfly in Utah, but is uh, is interesting this cycle because he's uh, he's been criminally indicted for uh, yeah. an alleged sexual assault that took place last June. Now, the interesting thing is, is his supporters are saying that that's all uh, a politically charged prosecution. And yet the alleged victim uh, went to the police last June, you know, six months before he filed for office and within a day or two of when the alleged uh, event took place. I've read the criminal information on that. I'm not going to go into detail, but it's it's uh, it's pretty explicit um, what, what he's alleged to doing. So, well, and I will say this, um, Senator Grover got 57 percent of the vote. He was literally three or four votes away from. Uh, avoiding a primary, but you know, that 60% yeah. thresholds there for a reason. Yeah. So a couple more things I'll say, um, you could, you might be able to say in the County clerk race, the delegates went in a more aggressive direction. This politi uh, political neophyte, Aaron Davidson, his name, he won on a clear message. I mean, his message was just so simple and so clear. He is absolutely against universal mail-in ballots and against ranked choice voting. And if there's any if there's any real uh, temper that I think that the delegates have in Utah County, it's that uh, by you know the overwhelming majority of them are 
pretty upset about universal mail-in ballots. Well, and and don't I don't want ranked choice voting anymore. I know he has, I think, two master's degrees, but he he doesn't get to set state election law. That's set by right. the legislature. Yeah. And yeah. mail-in ballots are the law. And if as county clerk, he's going to try to change that law, or if he's going to try to tell people that they can't do what they're legally entitled to do, that's that's going to be a lawsuit that he ends up losing. But speaking of exciting clerk races in Salt Lake County, we had two delegates who were accused of stuffing the ballot for the clerk's <laughs> race, and they were publicly shamed and ousted and stripped of their delegate status. And one of them was a precinct chair. Um, they had security there. They had sergeant of arms. They grabbed him as they were trying to run away. I never heard of anything like that happening before. And that's going to be an interesting race to watch as well, uh, because Sherry Swenson has been the Salt Lake County uh, clerk for a thousand years, but she's not running for reelection right now. Right, right. And so the Republican might have, have a, a chance. chance. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that whole ballot stuffing thing. I mean, you wonder what the hell is going on in, in our at our convention in Utah County. I mean there was just layers and layers of protection and security to make sure. Well, I talked to a few people who saw it happen. One of them ran up, you know, you're supposed to get your credential, show your credential and then put in your ballot. One of them ran up and just stuffed in two ballots. I don't know where he got them from. Oh, he didn't have a credential and somebody else without a credential was trying to stuff in the ballot as well. So we literally had the people who were holding the boxes. You'd have two people next to each other and one person was holding their hand over the box the slot yeah the, the slot so you wouldn't be able to just run up and stick something in it even if yeah. you wanted to yeah but um anyway that's too bad and also I, I i gather that they didn't have enough delegates and so they were they they put out a like a bad signal if you wanted to be a delegate you could just show up that's a weird thing and kind of a shame i mean certainly that's not the experience we had in utah county but so we had big wins from women candace periucci uh won with 90 percent of the vote completely dominated yeah. And and she was running against someone who was uh, on, on running on a, an election integrity uh, platform. Cheryl Acton, she won big. It's not going to a primary. The newly redrawn uh, or the newly created House District 50. This is in Eagle Mountain. That was also won by a female, my friend, uh, Stephanie Grishius. Um, congratulations to her. That's pretty cool. And uh, one more note for those folks who think that, uh, you know, conservatives have gone crazy. Doug Welton, he had a pretty strong uh, challenger. Ended up completely destroying that guy, uh, Doug Weldon, down in the Pace and Salem area, and he and he won easily. So, uh, and obviously he's viewed as a little bit more of a moderate school teacher. Yeah. And then um, a couple of interesting things: um, Susan Pulsifer, who's the incumbent yeah. in House District Forty Five, she's been forced into a primary by former state legislator Rich Cunningham. Since he left the House, he's lost, I think, two races for the state Senate and a race for for mayor. Um, so that'll be an interesting primary to watch. And then um, Jeff Stenquist was forced into a primary with Carolyn Fippen, who used to work on Mike Lee's staff. Carolyn got 63% of the vote. And there's only a primary because Stenquist has signatures. Otherwise, he would have been eliminated. And then um, Steve DeBry, who is an incumbent Republican County Councilman member in Salt Lake from District 5, he only got 26% of the vote. And I don't know, Corey, if he has signatures or not. So he mm. may have been ousted. So a lot of uh, interesting races to watch there. Yeah, that is interesting. All right, good stuff. So uh, I'm kind of sad that the convention is over just because so much. Well, fun. the state, the state delegates. Yeah, the state, the state delegates still get a chance. Weeks. Yeah. And uh, obviously, all of the 
the congressional and Senate candidates, although Mike Lee didn't show, but um, most of them spoke uh, in, uh, at the Utah County Convention. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about this anti-incumbent sentiment because a few of my colleagues who I like, um, Ann Milner and Dan Thatcher, do not have signatures. And, of course, Congressman John Curtis doesn't have signatures. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what to watch for is do they get at least 40%? If they get under 40%, uh, with no signatures, then they're out. Uh, that they're, you know, they're um, unless they, I guess, try to mount a writing campaign, which is almost mm -hmm. never successful in Utah. Um, but I think at least two of those three will probably be okay. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them ends up under forty percent. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Okay, so um, a lot of conversation about Democrats switching parties to vote in the GOP caucus and primary. But, so, but the numbers that reported, came out were, were, were less than what we were expecting. Right. So, yeah. So it was reported in the trip. I mean, Brian Schott said that uh, 24,000 new Republicans this year, Democrats lost 8,900, I guess uh, a Dem Democrat registered this year. I mean, it's true that that doesn't sound like a lot in a, in a primary it's not, but certainly in the caucus, it could be a lot. Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, I don't think that it made any difference in Utah County, but um, but it, it probably made a difference uh, well, in a couple of on the margins in a couple of places. If Democrats are in fil uh, have tried to um, in filters out of word uh, Davis, uh, Salt Lake or um, Utah County, they're doing a really lousy job of, <laughs> of, uh, of ousting all the all the uh, the conservative candidates. But. Um, and that 8,900, some of those people probably died. Some of them probably moved out of state. Some of them are yeah. probably disgusted with Joe Biden or whatever and have left the Democratic Party and our independence. So I think 8,900 is the cap, right? Because we've got people moving into the state. You're right. Uh, it, if it is 8,900, that's not an insignificant number of people. But in a general election or even a primary election where you have three to 500,000 people, it, well, it, it could matter if it's 50-50, right? I mean... But I don't think Mike Lee and Becky Edwards are going to be 50-50, but maybe I'm wrong. All right, so uh, last topic. This is one that we definitely need to get to. Well-known Fox News personality Tucker Carlson spent several minutes of his show last week criticizing Utah Governor Spencer Cox and Utah's Senator Mitt Romney for being what he called awful liberal leaders. Tucker uh, called Cox a, quote, cut rate Gavin Newsom imitator, Gavin Newsom being the governor of California, for, uh, among other things, sh Governor Cox sh shared his pronouns as he, him, his with a student during a town hall. Todd, tell us why you think Tucker's criticisms were unfair. Well, I, I mean, I think, I mean, a, a lot of the facts, uh, and I should probably make air quotes, facts that Tucker was sharing were, were true. Um, but his commentary was completely over the top and, and quite offensive, quite frankly. Um, Spencer Cox has almost nothing in common with Governor Newsom. And what I want to emphasize here is, first of all, this was a video uh, that took place a year ago. And people are saying, oh, Cox was wearing his mask when he was alone in Zoom. No, he wasn't alone in Zoom. He was in a room filled with his staffers. And I think he was trying to set an example to children at a time when COVID was, you know, when, when, when the mask mandate, you know, was making a big deal to some people. But more importantly, this student said to him what her pronouns were. And I think Governor Cox, who is, ran, who is 
always been an LGBT friendly Republican, was trying to be implement, um, trying to show empathy to this girl um, by sharing his pronouns back with her. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's being portrayed as he's trying to push this agenda on kids. And I don't think that's what happened at all. So, you know, and, and I also think it's interesting that Tucker Carlson waited a year and the people who released this video and spliced the video to make it look worse than it was, they're waiting until people are mad about the transgender sports issue and everything else and trying to uh, wrap the governor into all that. So what what we have is a governor who is uh, very concerned about L, uh, LGBT teen suicide rates and is very willing to try to be respectful to people with different ideas and different opinions than him. And if you want to criticize him for that, that's fine. Uh, Romney and the other Republicans knew she was going to be confirmed with or without their votes because uh, the Democrats have 50 senators and they have Kamala Harris as vice president. And so I think it's much ado about nothing. So let me start with, let me start with Cox because I think uh, I understand the the video was doctored point and argument, but to be honest with you, I think it's a little bit beside the point because um, I mean I, I suppose if Governor Cox had opened the meeting by sharing his pronouns, that would have been a little bit more noteworthy and may, maybe would have it would have been pushy. I mean he would have been more of a promoter rather than a yeah. you know a participant. But I think what people found objectionable and you you and I had a lot of text traffic on this, but I think what people found objectionable was not the timing of when he shared it, where the, whether it was the beginning or the middle of the meeting. I, I think the fact that, I think folks were a little uh, taken back that he engaged in in the charade at all. I mean, may, maybe it is a common courtesy. I think a lot of people see him, see it more though as him validating a little bit of silliness. I mean, by saying pr his pronouns, he, him, his, he's essentially lending credence to what I think a lot of people view as just sort of the latest social engineering of the left. This this new ritual that we all have to go through of exchanging our pronouns now, and when any serious person knows that Cox is a man, so I mean, maybe that, I know that that wasn't. I I, I assume, and I give him the benefit of the doubt that he, that wasn't his intent. Um, I I think he probably just wanted to be nice and build a connection with this student, and he has a big heart, and you know, we could all appreciate that. But I think people are not completely off base to interpret interpret the situation as having broader implications you know because words do matter i mean what you say and how you say it does say something about who we are and what your values are and i think that yeah. cox could have just as easily just thanked the student for her comment and just answered her question and moved on uh, it didn't seem like she explicitly asked for his pronouns he was doing it to be to be uh, gracious i get that but he didn't actually need to so i think the broader issue is whether it happened this year or last year or whether the timing or whether it was spliced i mean ultimately like sharing his pronouns, I think what what folks are looking at is thinking like, wait a minute. I, I mean, are you are you are you are we agreeing with this uh, this new like I say ritual of of sharing pronouns? So I think that's what people are uncomfortable with. Um, no, I get that. And and let me just say, uh, Governor Cox is not just the governor of the conservatives in the state. He's not just the governor of the Republicans in the state. He's the governor of all three point three million people. And I think he does bend over backwards to be nice and kind and accepting. And if people want to criticize him for that, that's fine. But I, I don't think he was doing anything but trying to make her feel comfortable, the, the, the student who was speaking to him. So I'm sure we're going to have a, maybe not you and I, but the state, I think, is going to have an ongoing conversation about this because um, being kind to a student uh, makes sense as far as it goes. But I think the broader implications is what has people feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. But when it comes to, when it comes to Romney, I think... Um, 
as you said, he voted to confirm Judge Katanji Jackson. There was only three Republicans, him, Murkowski, Collins, and uh, Judge Jackson, now Justice Jackson. I think, I think the problem is not so much – there used to be, as we talked about last time, there used to be a decorum, there used to be a tradition that if the, if the president nominated someone with qualifications, then you would vote yes. But it's been a very long time since that's been the case, and Justice Jackson – has achieved a lot in her life and overcome obstacles. But that said, she will be a reliable vote against Second Amendment rights, against the rights of parents, against federalism. She will be a vote for more vaccine mandates, for abortion rights, for the rights of illegal immigrants, and for making it harder to develop American energy. And so I think those are the types of things that just at this point, there's not a lot of difference between voting for her or voting for, let's say, Pete Buttigieg, voting yes for him to be transportation secretary. Let me also address real quick, I'll give you a chance, that there was a lot of criticism of, uh, of Senator Mike Lee for, for uh, leaving the chamber during the applause. And I just want to say that that is, there is nothing out of the ordinary about that. And in fact, when Amy Coney Barrett, now Justice Barrett, was confirmed there was no Democrats that stuck around to clap. You see, there's a video I can share it with anyone. The Republicans are clapping. The Democrats they voted and left. You know they didn't. They didn't clap. They didn't cheer. You know they didn't uh, recognize the uh, historic confirmation of another female justice. The only justice, by the way, on the court who didn't go to Harvard or Yale. Um, so I, I, I think it's really disingenuous and self-serving to sort of criticize Mike Lee for that, because that's just they don't stick around. They don't sit at their desks and wait. You know, they vote and they go. And all, the Democrats did that. They weren't even in the in the chamber when yeah. uh, when the applause happened last time. Well, um, first of all, I mean, the hypocrisy of, you know, asking um, <laughs> Brown Jackson about her judicial philosophy versus asking Brett Kavanaugh about something that was in his yearbook when he was 15 is not lost on me. And, and, and the Democrats who are saying and accusing him of gang rape based on yeah, no evidence. Yeah. Whatsoever. I mean, it, it's such a, a double standard and I'm not even going to try to defend that, but I will say, while I do believe um, Amy Coney Barrett, what, what was she the fifth or sixth woman on the court is somewhat historic. Um, we, I, I can't ignore the fact that Brown Jackson is the first black female on the court, which was really important, I think, to, uh, to her community. And, and I think that, you know, there are little girls now that will grow up looking at and saying someone like me can be on the Supreme Court. So I, I don't think that should be overlooked. Um, and, you know, with that said, you know, Romney's vote, I wish we could get back to this place where, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg got what 97 votes, you know, she was just as liberal as Brown Jackson. And, and I can't get over the fact that Breyer was a was a solid cons- uh, liberal vote every time. And so we have a liberal justice replacing liberal justice, she doesn't change the balance of the court. And that's why I was saying I, I think Republicans should choose their battles. And I don't want to live in a country where a Republican president is going to have every Democrat vote against every one of his cabinet nominees, even if they're qualified because of their ideology and the same with the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, that's where that's where we are. And I don't like it. Um, if she wasn't qualified, if she wasn't ABA certified, if she hadn't been a federal judge for nine years, I, that would be one thing. But um, academically, she's clearly qualified. So it's th- this is no different than Barack Obama saying, yes, uh, John Roberts is qualified, but I'm still going to vote no because I don't like his politics. And that's that, 
we thought it was wrong when John Roberts did it. Now we're doing the same thing and defending it. Um, and, and I think that's a sad commentary on the state of our politics. So I, I follow you there. I think the, the logic, though, would extend to any nominee. So, for example, this woman Raskin, who is nominated to be at the Fed, yeah. she has all the qualifications in the world. But she's also said that uh, that oil and gas companies should basically be uh, driven out of business. So Republicans rightly, you know, voted against her. So, I mean, I, no, I, I think they think should the vote against thing. her because that, that's a little bit different than what I was saying. Um, I, I'm just saying I, I don't want a point where a president can't have a cabinet anymore because the Senate's uh, controlled by a different party. That makes sense. So uh, my, my, my last thought, though, on this really quick about the, the fact that she's African-American. Obviously, that's, uh, that's, that's noteworthy and it's really cool in a lot of ways. I, I'm not going to get quite so excited just because it's a tremendous accomplishment. Yes, nothing against her personally, but we would have had the first African-American on the court 15 years ago, African-American woman, if Joe Biden and the Democrats hadn't blocked Janice that's, Rogers Brown. That's fair. It's so, true. you know, and it, we probably have the first Hispanic on the court. I mean, it was Sotomayor, but the first Hispanic probably would have been Miguel Estrada, yeah. uh, nominated by Bush if they hadn't blocked him. So I'm not going to be quite so enamored with the first African-American woman thing because they wanted it so badly that they, they blocked us, you know, 15 years ago. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that's, all of that's fair. And, and, and I just saying, it's just like on the basketball court, somebody pushes you and you push them back and you get, you get called with a foul because the referee always catches the one that's retaliating. It doesn't make it right. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) You know, they're both still fouls. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to disagree. I'll just say uh, that being the case, though, I don't think that uh, we should unilaterally disarm and just sort of <laughs> let them roll over us. All right. Thanks so Thanks, much. Everyone. That's all the time we got. We'll be back next week. Talking to you, Todd.